Pass First point guard and Trailblazers reporter Mike Richmond. You are listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Available wherever you get podcasts and also on YouTube. Make it your first listen every day, every weekday. That is coming at you Monday through Friday. So make it your first listen. Tell your friends to do the same. It's Locked On Blazers, your team every day. In today's show, we're continuing our player review series, looking at folks who are on the roster at the beginning of the year and who are on the roster now, heading into the off season. We'll do the other folks who are on the who are on the roster as well as we close out in the off season. But we are starting with folks who started, who began the year and ended the year in uniform. Here's what we'll do. Today we're talking Trenton Watford and Drew Eubanks. We'll look back at what they did this season. We'll revisit our best and worst case, my best and worst case uh, previews from the uh, scenarios from the the preseason where we looked at what is the likely outcomes and where folks would fall way back in September leading up to training camp. And then we'll close talking about fit, future fit, because I think the real question and why we do these is, is, is I think it's helpful to look back, to look forward, you know, look back on the production of the season, look back on our expectations. And then, you know, based on what we thought and what happened helps us look forward into what's next for both of these gentlemen. So that's what we'll do today. Let's start with Trendon. Then we'll talk Drew we're talking backup bigs. Trenton Watford appeared in 62 games, including eight starts, played 19 minutes a night, averaged 7.4 points, 3.8 boards, 2.1 assists, shot 56% from the floor, surprising 39% from three and 72% from three-point line. I had no idea Trenton Watford shot 39% from three. I'm going to be honest with you. Not, not, a, not a single clue. He shot 39% from three. When I was getting ready for this very show, I pull up his basketball reference page and I was like, wait, 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 that's wrong. But no, 25 of 64, low volume, right? Like basically won a game, 64 attempts in 62 games. But 39% is, if you're going to take a low volume, you still want to, you still want to make them. Watford missed the first eight games with a hip injury, missed a majority of training camp in the first eight games of the season with, with, with hip injury, and then basically just was part of the plan every night. Uh, played pretty regularly, you know, missed a handful of games with DMPs and an ankle injury, and then at the end of the year, his season was cut short a couple games with an ankle injury. But Watford was pretty much an every night contributor, and what became clear throughout the year is that he's probably a center who's not really a center. And here's what I mean by that: according to Basketball Reference, 55% of Trenton Watford's minutes came at center. Um, I don't really trust basketball references numbers with positions. I think they get it wrong. Um, with all due respect, incredible resource. Um, I'm like, I pay for stat head. I'm like, um, I, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, very, very appreciative to have big historical numbers, but I do think they get the positions straight up wrong all the time. So I'll take that with a grain of salt, but he did play in the middle a bunch and, um, for me, it became clear watching Trenton Watford throughout the season that he was a center. And what I meant by what I mean by that is that he is better when he's the, there's not another big on the court and he doesn't have to play power forward when he can be in the action and pick and rolls and 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 like get the ball as a decision maker and not just be a floor spacer, not be a stand in the corner guy. But he's not a center on defense. He doesn't block shots. He doesn't get steals. So there's no defensive playmaking. He doesn't rebound. He doesn't get offensive rebounds. He's a mismatch hunter who excels as as the lone big in an offense. And the numbers, let me tell you, they bear that out. With one center on the court, 
So either Drew Eubanks or Yusuf Nurkic, according to pbpstats.com. Trenton Watford was 6 of 23 from 3 and shot 56% from 2. When he was the lone big on the court, he shot 64% inside the arc and 18 of 40 from 3. That's 45% from 3 and 64% from 2. With a spread floor, he was a very good offensive player. Like, he was legitimately a good offensive player with a spread floor. When he's, when there's another big in the paint that doesn't allow Trenton to do what he does, he struggles. He's just not as good. He's a center on offense. It's in, it is... And I'm, I'm going to give you the same stuff with Drew here in a second. Like, it became abundantly clear to me midway through the season that he's just a five on offense. And then you look at the numbers at the end of the season, and they absolutely back that up. That the eye test, the eye test was obvious, and I had no idea of these numbers when I was doing that um, stats stuff in the middle of the season. Um, I was just like, yeah, he, he's like pretty clearly just needs to be involved in pick and rolls to use to use his gifts. And then you look at the numbers with his on-off stuff. When he plays with another big, he's just not as good. He's not nearly as good. And the three-point stuff, we could probably chalk up to some randomness. He took 43s when he was the lone big and took 23 when he was playing power forward um, and then took another three at the end of the season. Uh, but it's uh, that is lost in those specific stats. I was on-off stats I was looking at. But... Um, it, you know, you're talking six of 23 versus 18 of 40. It's just not a meaning. It's obviously way better. One is like 24%. One is one is 45%. It's like obviously a massive split. But I, I'm going to say that that's largely not meaningful. But the meaningful number is that two-point percentage. 55% from two when there's another big on the court means it's just harder to get into the paint because it's clogged. 65% from two when, when you're the lone big. It's what he does. He's a mismatch hunter. He's faster than big guys and stronger than little guys. It's... it's it, you know, Trenton Watford, Euro step, barely gets off the ground, finishes high bank with his right hand. You've seen it a bunch. He can go to his left as well, but he's he's really got touch inside around the rim. But when there's people in the way, he's not an explosive athlete and he's not an elite shooter. He's 39% from three, but he's not an elite shooter. He's a five on offense. It's tough. What did Drew Eubanks do this year? We're talking about as long as we're, we're getting them both in here. Drew Eubanks appeared in 78 games, 28 starts, played 20.3 minutes per night, averaged 6.6 points, 5.4 boards, 1.3 assists, and 1.3 blocks. Shot 64% from the field, 38.9% from three. What the heck? <laughs> and 66% from the free throw line. How did Trendon Watford and Drew Eubanks both shoot 30? How are they both above league average shooters? Drew Eubanks, 7 of 18 from three. He took 18 threes in 78 games. It's not a meaningful number. It's incredibly low volume. You know, takes you know one every four games or whatever it is. Like, not not a regular three point shooter, but he also shot thirty nine percent from three again. I'm looking at these box score numbers, like that doesn't make sense to me. And much like Trenton Watford, where these statistical splits bear out the eye test stuff, same thing with Drew Eubanks. When Drew Eubanks was a bench player, the Blazers he was he he kind of proved this year that he could be a, a competent backup center. And when he got extended beyond those minutes of playing big minutes, that's not like a, hey, 15 minutes, and if, if you're not a good matchup, get out of here. When he had to play 24, 26, 28, they struggled. He was much more efficient as a reserve than as a starter. As a reserve, he had a lower usage, higher true shooting percentage, higher effective field goal percentage. The Blazers... Uh, were slightly better with him on the court as a, as a bench player. They got outscored by two point two and a half points per hundred possessions and minus two and a half net rating with him off the bench. But when he started those games, they got outscored by six points. 
per 100 possessions, minus 6.1 net rating with him in the starting lineup. And quite frankly, the more telling number for me is that the Blazers, their net rating was 0.5, basically right at right at net neutral, 0.5 in the positive prior to the All-Star break, prior to like really shutting folks down and kind of ending the experiments and like things really took a dive for, for the Blazers. When Drew Eubanks was a backup and when Drew Eubanks was... A backup, you know, when he was a when he was a member of a team that was trying to be competitive, functional as a backup, he got super exposed beyond that. Eubanks' block numbers jumped way up this year. He was one of the elite shot blockers, particularly coming off the bench. But he's not much of a rebounder. He's not at all an offensive offensive rebounder. He's he's pretty bad defensive rebounder for his size. Um, he gets overpowered a little bit. He probably chases blocks more than he should. He's um, the Blazers were. Um, he was better. On-off numbers suggested that, that he was more helpful on offense than he was on defense. He was a, he was a bad defensive player this year. I think that's the problem with Eubanks is that he's good and switchy and competitive, but he's not super physical and he's not much of a rebounder and he can get out of position chasing blocks. So when you do ask him to play 28 minutes a night, it gets exposed. And much like Watford, what you obviously saw watching bears out in the stats. Watford is probably a five on offense and who knows how he fits on defense. Drew Eubanks is a backup, and when he's asked to do more than that, he gets exposed as exactly that. He's a low-minute, high-energy producer. That's how you're going to get the most out of him, and when you extend his minutes, he gets exposed. Both of these guys can fit, and that's what I kind of want to talk about to close the show. What's the puzzle that makes these two gentlemen fit? But before we look forward, I want to look back. Let's revisit the best and worst case scenarios I laid out for these two gentlemen when I did them in a double episode way back in September of 2022. That's what we'll do to uh, to close the show. That's what we'll do in the second segment, rather. So join me there. But first, I want to tell you about game time. Look, buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful. So forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on the tickets right up to the day of the event. So you can get exclusive flash deals on football, on basketball, on baseball, on concerts, on comedy shows, on the theater acts you want to see, plus more. Listen, you can also get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. It takes out the stress, the anxiety. You can buy tickets in a matter of seconds. Just two taps, you're all set. Plus, the tickets are sent directly to your phone, so you don't have to dig through an email and find that special code and all that. It's just sitting there waiting for you right on the app. So snag tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and use that redemption code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, let's keep it rolling. We're talking Trent and Watford. Andrew Eubanks. We're having a whole a whole ball of a time. But we're going to revisit one of my favorite people. It's me from September of 2022. A few months ago, it's your boy from about eight months back. Uh, heading into the season for season previews, I do best and worst case scenarios. And where I try to set the polls, realistic polls. So it's best case scenario within reason and worst case scenario without injury. So I, what I'm trying to do is set the parameters. This is where I think exactly where, like the... Most players, we want them to hit like the midpoint, right? So your predictions are correct. But we, we, we cast a wide enough net to make them sort of realistic looks at what they might look like. So we're going to talk Trent and Watford first, and then we'll talk Drew Eubanks. But we're going to listen to Michael from the past and see what, 
what he had to say about what Trenton Watford's best and worst case scenarios were heading into the season. So what is the best case scenario for Trenton Watford? Is that he continues to be a mismatch hunter who can take bigs off the dribble, who can bully smaller players in the post, who can grab and go off defensive rebounds and finish with either hand around the rim. The things that make him unique and strange continue to make him unique and strange. The floater king, a man who is just so good with little push shots inside 15 feet, continues to be so darn good with push shots inside 15 feet. He grabs a rebound and goes end to end. He can Euro past anyone with his kind of sliding sidestep. He doesn't jump high, but he, he takes wide steps at a really high level. And he continues to be a, a smart passer, a smart playmaker with good touch. But the best case scenario was that all of that stays and, and he continues to sharpen what he's already good at. Those things that make him unique, as I said, continue to get better. But the real best case scenario is that he adds enough shooting to make himself an off-ball threat. And he becomes truly capable of playing power forward, either in small ball lineups where he's next to Grant and Winslow and we can debate about who's playing center and who's playing power forward. But more importantly, the best case scenario is that Trenton Watford can play traditional power forward next to Yusuf Nurkic or next to Drew Eubanks or just in traditional looks. When the Blazers, when Jeremy Grant picks up an early second foul in the first quarter, you can look down and say, Trenton is a legit option. That's the best case scenario that he can play for. He needs to add off-ball skills to hit that best-case scenario. On the ball, Trenton Watford is a menace. He's really fun and exciting. Off the ball, and in a, a scenario where he's going to have to play off the ball more with a healthy Damian Lord and healthy Anthony Simons, that's where his lack of shooting comes up. And that's the worst-case scenario, is the shooting just never comes around. He was 9 of 38 from 3 last year in 48 games. Didn't shoot very many. Like passed up open threes relatively often and didn't make many under you know under under a quarter of them not just nine threes made in forty eight games, and in a world where he doesn't shoot and he doesn't get as much on ball on ball responsibility that lack of off ball verve off ball juice makes him a half court liability. He's more of a small ball five without much rim protection and a team needing a specific versatility. His skill set is not that specific versatility. He isn't your rim protector, wing defender, shooter that can complement the other parts. He is someone who has a specific set of skills. But Liam Neeson's specific set of skills, they aren't needed in this one. There's no hostage situation. Nobody got taken. They just need someone to play nine minutes of backup power forward in the third quarter. That's the worst case scenario. He ends up out, the worst case scenario for Trenton Watford is he ends up outside of the rotation on most nights as more of a curiosity than a solution to Portland's most common problems. Thank you, Michael, from the past. Oof, I think perhaps more than anyone that I did in the whole preseason previews, Trenton Watford hit squarely in the worst-case scenario. Squarely. Now, the shooting ticked up, so I guess you could say that he didn't hit it all the way, but he got 90-some percent of it, right? He's just not an off-ball guy yet. He's a small-ball five. He's a curiosity, a weird player. A fun and interesting player. Like I, 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 let me be clear. I like Trendon's game. It takes a lot of fourteen-foot push shots. Um, he's a fun passer. He had really good chemistry as a lob thrower to Shaden Sharp. Uh, fun decision maker in short pick and rolls. Fun transition player. Um, incredibly fun personality. Like I, I'm, I'm legitimately will root for him. Like I like him. But he's a weird fit because he's a five who doesn't play defense. And this was the this was the concern head that I had back in September is that he's a small ball five. 
and that if he can't become an off-ball player, and the numbers suggest that he really struggled in that, in the you know shooting, shooting 55% from two with with either Yusuf Nurkic or Drew Eubanks on the floor, the the number I shared with you in that first segment, that's that's kind of damning for for what the for the development you were hoping to see from him. You know, he's an undrafted dude who went from a two-way play, two-way contract to this, like, and he was like a regular contributor on this team still plenty of time to be patient with him but I think I think I think Trendon hit pretty squarely in his uh in his worst case scenario and and it brings up the question which I hope to answer in the third segment is like so so what do you do with him if this is what he is and and then it's like and he doesn't take a drastic change but he just becomes a better version of what he is because that's like for the most part, that's how development works is like you kind of show your flaws and show your strengths and then you sharpen your strengths and you kind of hope that your flaws will be dulled a little bit. People don't drastically change that much in, in the NBA. They do, but don't. It's not, it's not typically not super, super drastic. So we'll answer that to close the show is like, what, where, where do you, what do you need to make Trendon work? Because if he's this and these are his gifts, what do you do to maximize those gifts? But before we do that, let's let's turn our attention to the, to the predictions that we had for Drew Eubanks, those best and worst case scenarios. Take it away, Michael, from the past. What'd you say about Drew Eubanks back in September? The best case scenario is he's the backup center because the efficient production we saw to end last season was no fluke. And that the Blazers' dreams of going small while still common and relatively regular throughout the season are not a nightly occurrence because Drew Eubanks is playing 15 minutes and those are too valuable to pass up. He develops as a passer, becomes a legit pick-and-roll threat with Portland's powerful guard tandem of Damian Lord and Anthony Simons and is a mainstay in the rotation because he deserves to be there. The Blazers want to go small. They have hinted at it overtly and subtly throughout the offseason anytime Joe Cronin or, or Chauncey Billups has spoken with the press. They've done it behind the scenes as well. They're they are comfortable going small, but the best case for Drew for Drew Eubanks is that he gets some time early in the season. And they say he's too good, he or or doesn't training camp. He's too good to go small. We wanted to do this one thing, but we have to find minutes for Drew because he's our best option. The best case for Drew Eubanks is that he screws up a good plan. The worst case for Drew Eubanks is that he's just not the answer on a team with playoff aspirations and his lack of defensive impact, really low block numbers, really low steal numbers, and somewhat limited rebound ability. He's a slightly below average rebounder for the Blazers, although in years past he has graded out as a very good rebounder on other teams. But the worst case scenario is that those things hold. And that on nights where Eubanks is asked to play a little bit, it becomes more of a problem to the point where the Blazers are searching for other solutions. Thank you, Michael, from the past. I kind of think Drew Eubanks got caught in the middle of that. I think I think that was a classic uh, between the two poles, the best and worst case scenario. He was a backup center. It was just he got exposed when he wasn't the backup center, and then it made it feel worse. And he's not an. In the way that backups are, you know, there are some guys who are going to come, you know, the sixth, seventh guy off the bench or the first or second guy off the bench, sixth or seventh man. It's like, yeah, these dudes are going to play every night. They're good. In the way that Eubanks is like, you know, a bench player and a backup where it's like there are going to be some nights where the physicality is too much for him or the speed is too much for him. And it's like, we should just have it. We should just go another direction. That's normal for a bench player. And I think, I think Drew, you know, the efficiency drops a little bit this year, but in a very different role last year. Like he got post up 
call, play calls for him and stuff like that. And while the numbers suggest that he did get a little bit better as a passer, um, I think that was a pretty slow development. Like, I think it happened late in the season. I think for a lot of the season, he was still really struggled there. But, you know, it's like the whole point is to improve. You don't, you don't necessarily get points for when you improve. Um, so... Like in general, I think much like Trendon, Eubanks probably leans a little towards... Uh, Trendon is like straight up worst case scenario. But like Eubanks dreams, leans a little bit worst case scenario. But he got he got a bunch of his best case scenario um, boxes checked in there. The question for both of them is how do they fit? They are imperfect players. They are, you know, half the game type of players. The question and I want to answer to close the show is like... If these are, if, if both these gentlemen are part of the plan, and, and I think there's no guarantee that they are, but they certainly could be, what does the plan need to be to maximize what they can do? That's what we'll do to close the show. But first, let me tell you about prize picks. It's daily fantasy made easy. How it works is you pick, you pick between two and six players on every single entry, and it's just you versus the projections set by prize pick. You can go to prizepicks.com or download the app to play. You can play all sports, but me, play basketball so it's things like points rebounds assists and steals price pick sets the lines i pick above or below those lines and it's just like i said you versus those numbers no sharks no field no nothing you versus price picks and right now new users sign up go to prizepicks.com or download the app and when you do enter the promo code locked on and get a hundred percent deposit match up to one hundred dollars that means you put in a hundred bucks they'll give you a hundred bucks you deposit 50 bucks they'll give you 50 bucks it's as simple as that go take advantage at prizepicks.com or wherever you download apps and make sure when you do you use that promo code locked on still a pass first point on Still Mike Richmond, you are still listening to Locked On Blazers. Still talking Trenton Watford. We're still talking Drew Eubanks. Question for both these gentlemen. How do they fit into whatever's next? To be clear, both are uh, Drew Eubanks signed a one-year minimum deal. He's entering free agency. I, I think there's a decent chance that Drew Eubanks comes back. Um, you know, uh, kind of handpicked by this front office. They found him, signed him literally off out of free agency he was waived by the Toronto Raptors after he got traded and and they um and they signed him and then he earned an earned a contract I wouldn't be surprised if he comes back um uh, same kind of thing minimum mi- another minimum deal I think that's the type of player he is in the league and Watford has a non-guaranteed contract also in that same in that same price range I kind of think both of them filling out the end of the bench is totally fine like I would kind of be surprised if Watford doesn't come back again handpicked not um not drafted by the or signed by this uh, by the uh, Cronin Cronin during Cronin's tenure, but after Cronin got involved or got the job got involved got the job, he gave Trenton Watford the full contract, the multi-year deal, all of that. Literally every player on the roster has been given a contract extension, signed or out or traded for by Joe Cronin. This is entirely his deal. Everything that is on everything other than the coach is fully handpicked by Joe Cronin, but both of these gentlemen fit fit that bill for sure. So I think they'll both come back. I think it's it's fair to wonder, like, so what do you need? I think Trenton Watford could be a good NBA player, but what you would need is you'd need to play him at the five with length and strength around him. Think of like, this is imperfect, but the like the platonic ideal of the Clippers, right? Is they were going to play super small with a million kajillion wings. Um, That's why they got rid of Isaiah Hartenstein, but they were going to have that size on the wing to always cover up their sort of lack of lack of interior presence. So Robert Covington, that's why they signed him to a contract extension. Okay, put put Rocco in the middle, not a perfect center, but a good help defender. Then on the wings, you got Kawhi Leonard and you got Nicholas Patum and you got Paul George and you can play this long, rangy lineup. Uh, They never got to it for various health reasons this year, but 
I think that is the kind of thing that Rocco would have to thrive in. You still want him to be the five on offense. So you want him to be the primary screener. You don't want him to be a spacer because again, his skills are less less valuable when he's just like spacer standing there and particularly when there's someone else in the clogging the paint. When there's another guy with limited range, a Yusuf Nurkic or, or Drew Eubanks or whoever it might be at center clogging the paint. Th- that's you know a, a wing heavy lineup or a shooting center. I think that's easier said than done because you need a shooter who a center who really gets guarded from three, not just like a center who shoots threes. Um, it's like not like, oh yeah, I just put any anyone out there who who is willing to get him up. You need someone who gets like guarded at three, the way that teams guard Brook Lopez at three, and the way that teams began by the end of the season or the end of his season, like giving Miles Turner respect and closing out on three pointers. Yusuf Nurkic shoots three-pointers. He's not a three-point shooting big. Like, he even makes three-pointers. Not a three-point shooting big. Nobody respects him. They don't space out to him. They say, go ahead and shoot it. That's a fu- that's a totally fine shot. So you need you need a big that teams really respect from deep. I think that would unlock Trent and Watford because you need rebounders, rebounding and you need... Um, and you need some rim protection to maximize what he does. I think that's... Um, if the Blazers find that player and that player is a starter... Playing Trenton Watford minutes at the four is okay. If they don't have that, playing him in minutes with like rangy help defenders and just playing super fast with him as the bench unit five is doable. It's just like you're going to play him 15 to 18 minutes a night and not a moment more because if you play more than that, you're going to get exposed. And even 18 on some nights is going to be too, is going to be too long. It's just going to be too many minutes. Eubanks, I think it's like it's so simple. He's a dude who you want to pencil in for 15 minutes or less a night. If you're asked Drew Eubanks to play two seven-minute shifts, you're going to get solid production, and you can always shorten that second shift to five minutes and give him 12 minutes, right? Comes into the nine-minute mark of the of the, of the the first quarter, play, plays to the end of the quarter, plays to the seven-minute mark of the second quarter and sits down. You're going to get positive minutes, does the same thing maybe, but a little bit less in the second half. Bang. He plays really hard. You don't get cheated in Drew Eubanks minutes. He's a pretty good offensive player in terms of finishing on the roll. He's got really good touch around the rim, can shoot a jump hook with both hands. Um, He doesn't have any range as a shooter. So if you give him a bunch of minutes, teams will dial in on saying he can shoot. He, um, although he improved as a passer for at the end of the season, he was not a very good passer. He's not a very good playmaker. Teams will dial in on his, his weaknesses. Not a great rebounder, not a great, uh, def- just overall not a great defensive player, although he does block some shots. Teams will dial in on his weaknesses. 15 minutes a night. Drew Eubanks as your third center, great choice. Drew Eubanks even as your backup center, totally viable, although not like, not perfectly ideal, but totally viable 15 minutes a night. The problem is building a roster like the Blazers did, where Drew Eubanks was the backup center, and then when one injury from an injury-prone big guy meant Drew Eubanks was playing 30-some minutes a night and getting exposed. First of all, you can't play as hard as he wants to play if you play a 30-minute role. You can you can try, but you just there's just not enough gas in the tank to do it. It limits some of what he can do. If in a best-case scenario for the Blazers, or a good-case scenario, best-case scenario is like something different, but like in a, in a good scenario for the Blazers in which Drew Eubanks and Trenton Watford are both on the roster, Eubanks and Trenton Watford are not part of the regular rotation on night one, and they earn their way in there either by, you know, injuries and opportunity or just by just by being a solution at some point. But the best-case scenario, or the, the I'm just using that phrase even though I don't want to, a an ideal scenario for them on the roster is that that's your 11th and 12th man and that you have better, way better choices in the front court ahead of them or way different choices that complement 
If you're going to build a team around Dame, you just need really, really good defensive players. You need rebounders. You can't have below, like, it's just the truth. It is the the cold hard truth of building a roster around Damian Lillard. Having other negative defenders around him just friggin' maximizes the whole problem. It makes it, it just, it, it makes it just so glaringly obvious. So, Having those guys be 11th and 12th, so they're, they're matchup-specific uses or they're your third center in Drew Eubanks' case, you're going to build a pretty good team. If they're not that and the ask is bigger, I think particularly early in the season, it, is, is, it makes it, um, you're gonna, you know, you, you might struggle. I think Trent Watford can be a long-term NBA player because of his, his just like skills, like he's like skilled. And I think Drew Eubanks has proved that he could be a, a low-minute backup um, pretty obviously. It's just if both of them are high-minute guys, both of them are being counted on, particularly like October of 2023, you're probably not that competitive of a team. I'm rooting for both these dudes. Both guys I like genuinely like. I just think the reality of if you're trying to build a team that competes and wins a playoff series, these guys need to be they, these guys need to be fighting for minutes, not penciled in for a role. That's going to do it for today's show. Tell your friends about this podcast. Come back and listen to more. Do these every single weekday, Monday through Friday. Make it your first listen. Tell your friends to do the same. I appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.